Thank you for joining me as we look at our final Wednesday Lenten service for this Lenten season. Next week, of course, we have Maundy Thursday, Holy Thursday, and, and Good Friday and Easter coming on up already. Right now, what I'd like to do is look at our sermon text from last, from this last service, from Matthew 21, Pastor Scott Mosier will be here at Calvary on, well, the last Wednesday, March 29th, to share his message on how Jesus' final steps led to his Father's house. We're going to begin right now with the opening of our order of service for the Lenten services. Hasten to save me, O God. O Lord, come quickly to help me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. You are my God, have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Let us confess our sins in the name of our God, to whom all hearts are open and from whom no secrets are hidden. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Jesus says to his people, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. His death paid for the guilt of your sins and the sins of the whole world. Do you believe this? By the authority of Christ, I forgive you your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are a dear child of God and an heir of eternal life. Amen. Our fifth and final lesson from the Passion History according to Matthew is from Matthew chapter 27 and we're looking at verses 27 to 66. Soldiers mock Jesus. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole cohort of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, knelt in front of him, and mocked him by saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him, took the staff, and hit him repeatedly on his head. 
the crucifixion. After they had mocked him, they took the robe and took off the robe and put on his put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out of the city, a man they found a man of Cyrene named Simon. They forced him to carry Jesus' cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. They offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. After they had crucified him, they divided his clothing among themselves by casting lots. Then they sat down and keep, were keeping watch over him there. Above his head, they placed, they posted the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At the same time, two criminals were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. People, were pass, people who passed by kept insulting him, shaking their heads and saying, you who were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in, those, in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests, experts in the law, and elders kept mocking him. They said, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. If he's the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now, if he wants him, because he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him kept insulting him. Jesus' death. From the, ninth, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, this fellow is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran, took a sponge and soaked it with sour wine. Then he put it on a stick and gave him a drink. The rest said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. After Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Suddenly the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and rocks were split. Tombs were opened and many bodies of saints who had fallen asleep were raised to life. Those who came out of the tomb, tombs went into the holy city after Jesus' resurrection and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were guarding Jesus with him saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Many women who had followed Jesus from Galilee and who had served him were there, watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. 
Jesus' burial. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and laid it in his own new tomb that he had cut in the rock. He rolled a large stone over the tomb's entrance and left. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb and the guard. On the next day, which was the day after the preparation day, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered in the presence of Pilate and said, Sir, we remembered that, that what that deceiver said while he was still alive. After three days I will rise again. So give a command that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples might steal his body and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And this last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard. Go make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and posting a guard. Here ends our Passion History reading. We'll continue now with the hymn, hymn number 128, Not All the Blood of Beasts. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ the heavenly Lamb takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. In faith I place my hand on that dear head divine. As penitently here I stand and lay on him my sin. My soul looks back to see the burden you did bear. When hanging on the cursed tree, I know my guilt was there. Believing we rejoice to see the curse remove, we bless the Lamb with cheerful voice and sing his bleeding love. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. Amen. The Word of God we want to consider for our final midweek Lenten service. As I said, Pastor Scott Mosier will be here sharing meditation based on these reading. Here's my look at those verses. Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 to 17. Matthew writes, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all those who were selling and buying in the temple. 
He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. He said to them, It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the experts in the law saw the wonders he performed and heard the children calling out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They said to him, Do you hear what they are saying? Yes, Jesus told them. Have you never read from the lips of little children and nursing babies you have prepared praise? He left them and went out to the, of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. Let's bow our heads for prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, who art our strength and our salvation. Amen. My dear fellow Christians who are following in the footsteps of our Savior, oh, do you think maybe there was a little bit of a bounce in his step as well as Luke tells us Jesus traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. As he traveled there with his parents, with Mary and Joseph, it was a five-day journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem. And, well, Jesus, then 12 years old, this takes us back to earlier in his life, he was going along, probably going there to celebrate his bar mitzvah, because, well, his kind of like our modern-day confirmation. He was going there because he was going to be a, an official member of the synagogue, of the church, of the religious community, as a, as a son of the commandment. Well, did Jesus' muscles ache as he was walking up the way to, to the temple, to the temple mount in Jerusalem? And as he was approaching that place, did he maybe think to himself, I'm home at last. He certainly acted as if he was home because after they spent their time in Jerusalem and the temple area, when Mary and Joseph headed home, well, he stayed there at his father's house. He stayed there at his father's house. And, well, it took Mary and Joseph a day after they left to figure out that, that, that Jesus was not with them. And, and so then it took them a day to get back to Jerusalem and it took them a day, uh, portions of three days for them to, to find Jesus. And after that fight, frantic search, well, Luke says, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? See, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. He said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know 
that I must be taking care of my father's business. This is really the only account in scripture that deals with Jesus' silent years. From when he was about two years old, we could say, until he was 30 years old and he began his public ministry. This single event that is recorded from those silent years tells us about the boy Jesus at his father's house. Well, then as an adult, when he began his public ministry, when he began to preach and teach, John informs us that at the time of the Passover, when the Passover was drawing near, well, it says Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he went to the temple where he, it says, found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and money changers sitting at tables. And our Savior then single-handedly drove out all the, the sheep and the cattle and the merchants and the money changers, and he shouted, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a place of business. <laughs> Given... Jesus' history and his habits throughout the course of his earthly life, it shouldn't surprise us then that in the last week of Jesus' life, Jesus went back home. His final steps led to his father's house again. His father's house was a house that needed to be cleansed. It was a house intended for healing, and it was a house meant for praise. In Mark's gospel, we learn that after Jesus' Palm Sunday majestic entry into Jerusalem, the first place that he, Jesus went that very same day was the temple. Mark writes, Jesus looked around at everything. Since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Okay, went to the temple, and then first thing Monday morning, he went back to the temple, and he had some business to take care of at his father's house, and that mean, meant turning upside down, upside down the corrupt business of the merchants and the money changers who were there at the temple. And now, they were in the outer courtyard of the temple, and that's where the, the Gentile believers were supposed to have their place for prayer and worshiping God. But how on earth could they possibly worship when there was, were these merchants and Doubtless those people who came from a distance when they bought sheep or cattle or doves from them, doubtless there was, there was haggling that went on amongst them. And now that was going on. And then just also think of probably the smell that existed there with all these animals that were in the temple courtyard. A person had to be careful where he stepped and stood of a sad testimony to what was supposed to be the courtyard of the temp of the 
the Gentiles where they could pray and worship. And now in, in the temple courtyard, all those animals being sold and well, they were doubtless overpriced animals and they were overpriced animals and what probably was the case is that you know, the ones who were in charge of making the sacrifices, if someone brought their own animal from home, that animal could very well have been turned down as not being good enough of a, for the sacrifices that were made. So the people were kind of stuck probably with getting animals from the, the, money the merchants and the money changers there at the temple area. And when, well, these money changers that I talked about, why were they there? Well, the temple leaders, they insisted that all the religious pilgrims that had come to pay their temple tax, that they would pay their temple tax with the shekel of Tyre. And that was the only form of money that was acceptable for the temple task. And you maybe find it a little bit disgusting that the image that was on that shekel of Tyre was that of the god Melkart. Melkart, and that was a form of the Canaanite god Baal. And more disgusting would be the evidence that, well, what the Jews were guilty of, the Jewish leaders were guilty of, is counterfeiting these shekels so that they could make more money. And they even cheated on the exchange rate, overcharging the people. And it was all about the business of making money there at the temple. It wasn't God's business. And that's why the Father's house was a place, a house that needed cleansing. So our Savior's final steps led to his Father's house a house that needed cleansing. Well, Matthew tells us, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all those who were selling and buying in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doubts. He said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. It's interesting that twice in three years, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and now here at the end of his ministry, one man single-handedly cleansed the temple. And maybe we hear those words and don't realize, what did Jesus cast out of the temple area? All the animals, probably hundreds and hundreds of sheep and cattle and goats and doves, one man single-handedly drove all of those out, all the merchants, all the money changers out of the temple, overturned their tables. It would have been impossible for you or me to do a job like that. And, and then, of course, there were also the temple guards, the temple police, and most of those officers were probably, were probably, Levites, and they probably weren't 98-pound weaklings. Later in the week, those same temple guards 
together with the Roman soldiers, they'd be the, one that, the ones that would brutalize our Savior. But not on this day. On this day, Jesus cleansed his father's house. In his righteous wrath, he cleansed his father's house. Well, now, when we look at this event, it's sadly so easy for us to look at something like this and maybe feel a little bit self-righteous to think, how could those people, the Jews, have sunk so low like this? They cared more about the almighty shekel than they did about worship and prayer. Now, I said we'd be tempted to say that, but, you know, if we do say that, we better be a little bit careful because I'm not sure that we'd want to say that we were better than they and actually, you know, what the scriptures say, there's no difference for all have sinned. With, with things that have gone on in our world. Well, maybe think about the, the COVID panic that we've been dealing with and the unpredictable market prices that are out there right now, their ups and downs. Maybe, maybe you and I are thinking a whole lot, maybe too much about that, about our investments and about our retirement and well, maybe we'll say the, with the way the market is right now, thinking about retirement, that's, that's not something possible for us. Maybe we're bitter, maybe we're angry, afraid, and, and as we're here in God's house, maybe our thoughts are wandering off to thoughts about finances and retirement and investments and things like that. And the whole point is, is that really, well, when Jesus went to the temple that day, his father's house needed a cleansing. And likewise, we need a cleansing too. Cleansing, well, we need to say to the Father, Father, I have sinned. And, oh, Father, I have sinned. And then, Think about those different things that we have done where we have broken God's law. So well, think about those ways in which you have sinned, in which you have rebelled against God. And well, when we think about that, think about the things that may trouble us. When we think about the things that may trouble us, what a comfort it is for us to hear those wonderful words that used to open our sermon today. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. The sins that would trouble us, the sins that we would, if we were going to list them, those sins, they're gone because of the blood of Christ washed away by the blood of Jesus, nailed to the cross, and, and they're there, they're not with us. And now see, that's what makes the Father's house so special because it's the place where, where maybe we drag ourselves to the house of God, drag ourselves here, but 
then what do we have the wonderful privilege to do? We have the wonderful privilege time and time again to hear those words, I forgive you your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. How, how thankful we have to be that Jesus' final steps, they went to the temple, they went to the cross, they went to the tomb and, and they left the tomb all for us so that we could have a cleansing too, a cleansing of all of our sins. That's why Jesus' final steps led to his father's house. It was a house that was oh, intended for healing. After our Savior cleansed the Father's house, it's interesting that then the temple courts were ready to get back to the purpose for which they were intended. Our reading says, the blind and the lame came to Jesus in the temple and he healed them. By the time we come to the last week of Jesus' life, maybe the healing miracles of Jesus have gotten to the point where they're almost routine for us. And oh, think about just some of those miracles. You know, healing the, the official son at Capernaum, Peter's mother-in-law, the centurion's paralyzed servant, the paralytic who was let down through the roof, and the entire crowds of people that came to Jesus, maybe as he was along the Sea of Galilee when he healed so many people. And then you can think of like the daughter of Jairus and the widow of Nain's son who were raised back from the dead. Oh, it's maybe easy for us after a long day to maybe yawn a little bit at the verse that says the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But I pray that when we hear that, we don't yawn about it and think of it as being routine. Those miracles were not routine for the families who had been enduring the different sicknesses and illnesses that they did. Here were some people that Jesus healed that maybe they were walking their first steps, seeing their first sights, and it's important for us to not ignore this verse about healing because of how it also fits into God's plan, overall plan. Because performing, Jesus performed these miracles despite knowing how his enemies would react to the miracles. Matthew says, when the chief priests and the experts in the law saw the wonders he performed, they were indignant. You see, and they were indignant, they were upset, they were, well, starting to boil over, we could say, because they were putting two and two together and they knew what that meant. The miracles that Jesus performed, they were saying over and over to, again to Jesus' enemies, to those Jewish religious leaders, those are signs that this Jesus is the promised one, the Messiah. Everything was falling into place just as the prophet Isaiah had foretold. 
Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unplugged. The crippled will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. And see now, Jesus didn't shy away from performing those miracles even though he knew that his performing those miracles would be another straw to break the camel's back of setting those Jewish religious leaders over the edge to proceed with their jealous plan to try to get rid of Jesus, even though it was at the time of the feast of the Passover, and to end up getting Jesus to the cross. Well, Jesus couldn't shy away from helping, healing those hurt sinners any more than he can shy away from helping us and granting us healing as well. His, his selfless love would not let him not take those final steps to the cross. His devotion to the Father, his dedication to the whole plan of salvation meant that he had to continue taking those final steps to the cross and ultimately pay for our sins for us. Well, as the writer to the Hebrews observed, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How humbling and comforting it was to know that Jesus' final steps, our Savior's final steps, led to his Father's house. And, and well, we also note that that was a house that was meant for praise. Jesus' miracles were such signs. You could think of them as being these gigantic billboards saying, this is the promised one, neon signs that were alerting everyone to who Jesus was. And because of those signs, well, even the children, it says, even the children who were there knew what this was. They knew what was going on. They knew, they got the message. And that's why, well, it says here that they proclaimed Hosanna to the son of David. That's the same cry that was made the day before when Jesus was marching into Jerusalem, riding in on the donkey. Hosanna to the son of David. And what those Palm Sunday crowds were saying, what those children were saying is, this is the Savior. This is the one we'd been waiting for for thousands of years to finally come and the chief priests and the experts in the law, they didn't like it, and that's why they proceeded with their plan. They knew what that title, Hosanna to the Son of David, Son of David really meant. Jesus was the promised one. So, the reading says, so they said to him, Do you hear what they are saying? Yes, Jesus told them. 
Have you never read from the lips of little children and nursing babies you have prepared praise? There was probably a, a, a bit of sarcasm in Jesus' voice when he asked, have you never read? The truth is that many of those experts in the law had maybe even memorized the entire Old Testament. They had not only read Psalm 8, verse 2, that's when Jesus said, from the lips of little children and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. They probably had not only read, but had memorized that verse, which Jesus quoted. They probably knew it by heart, but they didn't hold the real meaning of the, that verse in their heart. They forgot what the Father's house was supposed to be all about. Not a place for them to make a quick shekel or many shekels, but it was a place where there needed to be praise. Praise for Jesus the Son, for God the Father, for God the Holy Spirit as well. Our Father's house is still a place where praise needs to happen. Praise from little children, nursing babies. Praise from teens and college students, young families, middle-aged, elderly. From those people who would really struggle even to get to church. Praise and thanks from those from us who would acknowledge that how blessed we are because Jesus didn't turn away from his final steps despite everything that he had to endure. And despite everything that he had to endure, he took his final steps, his final steps that went to his father's house, his final steps that went to the cross and, and thankfully left the empty tomb. Well, think about his final steps. His final steps, he cleansed his father's house and, and how thankful we can be that his final steps led to the cross and that means that he's cleansed us. The blood of Jesus, God's son, purifies us from all sin. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit into our hearts to direct and rule us according to your will, to comfort us in all afflictions, to defend us from all error, and to lead us into all truth. We pray through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. And we gather up all other prayers we have as we join in praying the prayer our Savior taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. for joining me as we looked at the message from our final Wednesday Lenten service this year. Again, remember, coming on up, Maundy Thursday, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday. Hope you can join us as we continue following our Savior's final steps to the cross, tomb, and then out of it proving his victory for us. The Lord bless and keep you always. Amen.